0: We'll open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. I appreciate Leland filling in last week, uh, and I understand that he covered the material well, so I'm not going to go back and review any of that. Uh, But we do want to kind of get into our study this evening as we focus now on the building or the establishing of the covenant relationship that God has with Israel. He is fulfilling his, his promises and his prophecies that all began way back you know, with Abraham uh, as the family is growing, as God took care of them in Egypt and brought them out of that captivity as he said they would. Uh, and so now we're at the point where you know, God has them exactly where he wants them. And so starting there in chapter, chapter 19, we're told kind of the time frame of it. And it says, it is the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. And you think about that. We're told, for example, back in, uh, in Exodus 12, that it was the first month on the 15th day that they began their journey. And uh, we know that because that correlates with the Passover. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Le- Bread, all of that, it kind of became the beginning point of the nation. He says, this will be your first month of every year. And he says, and so they observed that on the 14th day, they left on the 15th day. And so that was the 15th day of the first month. Now we're in the third month. What day of the month, we don't know. Uh, And so you can kind of, in your own estimation, kind of round that up wherever you think it needs to be. Uh, We are told uh, uh, about halfway through, at some point uh, in the previous chapters, I think it's chapter 16, that uh, it was the second month on the 15th day. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in my estimation, you're looking at about a two-month journey. And you know, imagine this. This is not just your family making a two-month trip. It's not just this congregation. You know, of Let's say if everyone's here and no one was homebound, you know, we'd have about 200 people. It's, it's not just 200 people making this journey for two months. It is a, 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 a number of people that were told back in, in Exodus chapter 12 that it was 600 men, not including the children and the women. And so you estimate that. You know, and and there, there are variations of what that number may have been, you know, sometimes ranging between one to two million people. And so here's the beginning of a nation, but you think two, you know, let's say one million. Let's round it up just to one million. You know, a million people traveling through the wilderness from Egypt to Mount Sinai in a two-month period, Israel could not have done that on their own, and that's the point. You know, Leland kind of got us from Egypt to here last week. And when you look at that, and you, yes, you, we, we see the, the failings, the shortcomings, the unfaithfulness, the unbelief of the people, you know, there's a lot of growth that, they need, that needs to take place, but what you need to see is God. God brought them here, and, and you think, and he did it in a two-month period. A million people, you know, by foot, you know, getting from Egypt to Mount Sinai, is an amazing feat And he took care of them each step of the way. And so when you think about this incident, they're there. God God has gathered them here. And he calls Moses up and he says, This is what I need you to tell the folks. And beginning in verse 3, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen. He says, I want you to go tell everybody, you know, tell the nation, you know, you know, men, women, and children. I want you to tell them you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Israel didn't get here on their own. They got here because God brought them to himself. And then he goes and kind of presents or offers the covenant he says, you know, he, you know, I am taking you, I brought you to myself, but this is going to be a covenant relationship. And so now he's offering you know, kind of the agreement that they have to sign you know, on the bottom line here. And he says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And Moses takes that and he presents that to the elders of the people who in turn will you know, share that with you know, the nation. But think about this idea of God bringing Moses and the nation of Israel to the very spot, you know, at the very location where God spoke to Moses back in Genesis 3. If you recall, there in that chapter, for example, around verse 10, uh, uh, he, says, he says to Moses, you know, that he's, I'm going to bring you back. He says, you know, he says, I will send you to Pharaoh, so you will bring my people and the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And of course, he said, well, who, who, who am I that I should do such a thing? And he goes on to say, verse 12, and he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you. It is I who have sent you, and when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. The sign is fulfilled. God says, I'm sending you back to Egypt. This is what you're going to do, and I'm going to get you back to right here at some point in the future where you will worship me. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so what you have here is the faithfulness of God, executing his word and his plan just as he' had spoken and it was not an easy journey and that's you know you think about the chapters you talked about last week. It was not an easy journey but God got it. but God got them there and through it what what the people are having to learn is they're having to learn to re- rely on God in spite of everything you know, you know, that's going around them they had to learn to re- rely on God and it was a hard lesson for them and it seems when you study you know the history of the israelite nation it seems that for most of them they never quite got it did they they never quite learned what true reliance entails and i think you see that early on in the in, in the events between egypt and sinai where you know god you know they complain about this and god you know fills that need well you know the first time he did that should that should have been sufficient in teaching the reliance god's going to take care of you but no it didn't and so they get to this next situation there's a little bit a challenge there's some concerns and they start complaining and god heals the waters each step of the way You know, they're needing to learn this lesson, but they're not learning it it very well. But God still brings them to where he wants them because God is faithful and God's going to keep his word. God has a big plan that involves this chosen uh, group of people that would one day provide the great light to the world. And so here God offers the covenant and Israel accepts it. And you see that you know, there in verse eight, where they you know, once it's presented, they say, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do they? No. You know, before the covenant is is inscripted and recorded before all of that is finished you know you know as well as I that they will break you know you know portion of the Ten Commandments and so no no but yet they have presented the covenant they presented the contract you know it was a pretty simple contract It's not like you know, you know, mortgage contracts and they give you page after page after page, and what you you just want is a summary of it, and you assign the bottom. And who knows what's in there, but you you know, but you trust. But with this one, it's very, very simple, very plain, very clear, you know, it wasn't several pages, you know, of legal terminology. It was simple word from God saying, This is what I did, this is what I expect, and this is what you will become. If you do so, and he says, "Yep, we agree to it. Whatever you say, God, we will do." And when you think about the, the, this agreement, I want you kind of kind of break it down a little bit as we look at some of the things that he says. Here is this idea of God choosing Israel, and He's choosing Israel to be a special people. And this this is God's. This has always been God's plan all along. For example, you go back to Genesis chapter 17. So you're going back to the days of Abraham. In Genesis 17, you'll turn back there very quickly. Just kind of glance at verse 7 and verse 8. Now, this particular chapter is when you've got the sign of of the Abrahamic covenant being uh, instituted. And of course, that involves circumcision. Uh, But notice what what God says to Abraham. Of course, this is reiterating what God introduced back in Genesis 12. The whole idea of God's promises that involves land, nation, and seed. And so he says, you know, in verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you, talking to Abraham and his descendants throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to to be God to you, yeah, and to your descendants after you, and he says, "I will give you, you know, and your descendants the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting blessing For I will be their God." It's not the exact wording you know, that is found in Exodus chapter chapter twenty, but that's you know, that's the point. God says, "I'm choosing you, so that you will be my people, and I will be your God." Now, the nation is, uh, is shared this, you know, uh, is informed of this through Moses. When you think of Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, look at verse 7. You know, at this point, you've got uh, Moses is back in Egypt. And he says, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. You should know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the, uh, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So this whole idea that's introduced here, he says, you know, I brought you out, I bore you, you, know, you know, on these wings of deliverance and provision and protection, you know, and so here you are before me. He says, and if you obey, then you'll be mine. You'll be my treasure, you'll be my possession you know, among all the peoples. He says, the whole earth belongs to me. All the earth belongs to God, to Jehovah, to the Creator, but Israel was his possession. And so in a very special, unique sense, Israel is chosen to be his nation, where all the other nations are his too, because it all belongs to him, but not in the same sense. And so you've got this very unique relationship that God is establishing and offering to the descendants of Abraham. And, and what we see here that this nation, these people, are to be characterized by certain things. Now, for example, it talks about the kingdom, a priest, and talks about a holy nation. And so here, God, God wanted a relationship. God wanted to have you know, a people that belonged to Him, but that has to be a people first of all that present their lives in priestly service to God. To be God's people, you have to be a people who present your lives as in priestly service. But also you have to be a people, you have to be a nation that's characterized by holiness because it has to be a nation that reflects or imitates God. Now, all of that uh, should be very familiar to us, not only as students of the Old Testament, but also because that's exactly what you and I are called to be. In first Peter chapter you know, two verse nine, if you recall as the apostle there, reminding the scattered saints, yeah, you know, you know, he's reminding them who they are in relationship to God. And he says, You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people for God's own preset possess- possession. It's all the same language. And so all along, it was God's plan, even before time began, that there would be a people that would be his people, and he would be their God, and they they would reflect that. And that was the goal of God's covenant relationship with Israel, which they fell short of accomplishing. Now, this offer is dependent on what? Well, it's dependent upon obedience, real obedience, not just lip service. And so he says, if indeed, if you truly you know, will obey, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then this is what you will become. My covenant will make you, my covenant will transform you into someone, into a nation that is great because you you will be my people reflecting me. And I think it's important to note the fact how you know, you know, whose voice they need to uh, obey and whose covenant they need to, to, to obey? I think that's significant that God says it exactly that way. You know, if you indeed obey my voice. And if indeed you obey or keep my covenant. Men, all men obey a voice. All men obey a covenant. But it's not always God's voice. It's not always God's covenant either, is it? And it was true for them as well. If they were going to be God's people, they had to obey God's voice. And they had to obey God's covenant. But they proved to be stubborn and hard-headed and disobedient and rebellious because they listened to other voices, they entered into other agreements that were not God's, and you think about. You know, to me, when I begin to think about the emphasis that God is just making here, in like I say, this is a re- really short contract. <laughs> you know, you know, just a couple sentences here, and that's all it is. You know, and it's clear and understandable. You know, you know, you know what that, that entails, and. You just sign, sign the, button, the dotted line. And it made me think about you know, what is brought out in, in uh, Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which David just recently covered. The whole idea there in verses 14 through 18, you're familiar with that, with that passage, where it talks about, you know, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And you've got these contrasts going back and forth, light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness, uh, Christ and Melio, uh, the temple of God and, and the temple of, of, uh, of demons. And so you've got this contrast, you know, being expressed and Christians like you and me being admonished and urged to understand the covenant that we're in. And it is, it, it, it is that covenant relationship that makes being spiritually unequally yoked such a travesty. And that's what's being brought out in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you read on down there, remember he, he, he quotes from the Old Testament and uses that well-known phrase. He talks about, and I will be what? What does God say to them? I will be your, your God. And you will be my people. And he goes on, and you will be sons and daughters to me. And so, you know, like them, we as well under the new covenant must understand that yes, there is this relationship that God desires, but it is dependent upon us fulfilling the covenant requirements. And so, you know, you know, God is offering. He enters it. They, they basically sign the dotted line. But you think about this. For them to, you know, live this life, for them to achieve this goal, being a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation, and to fulfill the demands of that covenant. Because, they're, they're, you know, the covenant is not... Uh, expounded upon right here. He said, No, this is this is what's required. You gotta obey me, you gotta keep the covenant. If you do, I'll make you this. I will bless you. you and they said, Yes, we understand that. Yeah. Agreed. But what's gonna be required is God then is going now is gonna to have to teach them, is He not? He's gonna to have to show them. What is involved in keeping that covenant. And that's what follows. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. That's what the other sundry laws are all about. Is God now is showing them, He is teaching them, you know, you know, what is required, what is demanded of them, you know, for, you know, for them to achieve this goal of being God's possession that reflects a kingdom of priest and a nation of holiness. Because no one knows the mind of God. He hasn't told them yet what his mind is. He hasn't told them his plan yet. He hasn't revealed to him his will yet, but he said they've agreed to it. We will do all that you say. And so God's going to reveal that. The Holy Spirit you know, has revealed that to us in the New Covenant. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about you know, no one knows the thoughts of man except the, you know, you know, what's in the man. And likewise, even more so, God. We don't know what's in the mind of God, but the Spirit has revealed it, you know, in spiritual words, so that we may understand God's will for us today. And so the people agree to all of that. And so God is now kind of gonna get them ready to be taught, to, to begin to learn, you know, what's involved in, in the covenant. And so God tells Moses to tell the people, okay. You you need to tell them this. He tells them they agree. He says, now go, and then also tell them that they need to consecrate themselves. You see that beginning in verse 9 and following. So the the Israelites, the nation that's camped here at the foot of Mount Sinai, are required to consecrate. They're required to, to sanctify themselves in order to hear God. God's about to speak through Moses. And he says, "What they need to do, they need to prepare themselves to hear me." And so he tells them, "Go. You, know, you consecrate the people. You make sure you know they, they wash their clothes." And and in, in on the third day, I am going to appear, and I'm going to speak. And they need me to be ready. Now you think about the idea here of God, you know, revealing himself in the manner that he does. And, he, and he's going to do so, you know. Ultimately, through Moses, Moses is going to be the mediator. And the manner that he chooses to do this, you know, the way God chooses to manifest Himself to the people and to Moses, how He's going to communicate that, was so that the people would be convicted, convicted that Moses was God's mouthpiece. Look at verse nine. He says, "I'm going to come to you, and He's going to be in this thick cloud." And I'm doing this so that people may hear when I speak with you. He said, I want them to see something and I want them to hear something. You know, when I am talking to you, Moses, so that they will believe in who? Huh? In Moses, in this verse. Now, obviously, they need to believe in God. But they need to believe in, why didn't they need to believe in Moses? Moses. Right. God's going to be speaking through Moses. Because what Moses is going to say is going to be God's word. And so God's going to manifest himself in a way that's going to impact the people so that they will listen to Moses and be convinced that Moses is God's mouthpiece. And that's exactly what happens. And so on the third day, God comes down on Mount Sinai. And, and you, you know, well, before, here's a thought. You know, when I thought about the idea of, of preparing yourself to hear God, and in this, there's, some, there's, there's, you know, preparing yourself through washing. I think you, you can probably draw some spiritual lessons there as, as followers of Christ. But you're preparing yourself to stand in the presence of God in the sense of hearing what he has to say. And even the mountain is set apart. So these boundaries are all set, up, set apart are made because you know, God's going to come down on this mountain. And where God is, is always, what, what kind of place is that? It's a holy place. And so when in a holy place, you don't treat that in a profane way. It's not something common. And you must you know, approach that with the right reverence and awe and respect. And that's what God's trying to stress upon them, not just for the mountain, but really for himself. And so what struck me is, that, is this just thought question. What do we do? When you think about what do we do to prepare our time and ourselves to receive God's instruction? Now, we, walk, we are cleansed so that we can be reconciled. But after that, after we're in a covenant relationship with God, what do we do to prepare ourselves to hear God? Have you ever thought about that, you know, Jesus. Remember, what he often said throughout his ministry, okay, David has a thought. Yeah, uh, remember, he's often throughout his ministry, he's saying, He who has ears to hear, hear. And so, he's saying, Okay, y'all need to get your ears ready to hear what I say, David. I'm gonna say, uh, in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, right. I appreciate you bringing that up because that illustrates the thought of this idea of God saying, okay, consecrate the people and have them do these things You know, because on the third day, I'm coming down to talk to them through you, Moses. Uh, And and they need to be ready. They need to be ready to hear me and we do too. We need, as, as sons and daughters of God now, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our ears to hear God. And sometimes, you know, we get busy with the stuff of this world, and we get dull of hearing. <laughs> and we don't hear things so well. Yeah, Romans 10 talks about, you know, faith comes from hearing. But if you haven't prepared that hearing, then you're, you know, there's not going to be much faith growing. Or you think about James 1, 19 and 20, yeah, you know, being quick to hear, yeah you know, yeah, you know, slow to speak, slow to anger, but you know, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's it's all about preparing yourself there to hear God. And that's exactly what God's talking about here. And so they do that in chapter 19. And I really like this thought and the the imagery that comes out to me in verse 17. So it's the third day. God God is starting to manifest himself in a very powerful way. And so you, you know, and so that's expressed in verse 16. And so Moses brought out the people to meet God. Have you thought about that idea? Moses is bringing out the people to meet God. God is introducing Himself to the nation here, And a very personal, intimate way. He's already kind of in the sense, he's he's made himself known already through his outstretched mighty arm in delivering them out of Egypt and and bringing them all the way through this desert wilderness, making sure they have all the water they need, all the food they need, they have everything they need um, for their journey. He's already demonstrated that, but on this occasion, yeah, as you begin here in chapter 19, you know what's going on here is so is so much bigger than just God's powerful deliverance, David Girado Lee, and so you think of, of of having you know you know the privilege and the opportunity to meet God in this way, David. It's uh, to me, I remember the day of Pentecost. Peter was the mouthpiece, and they were all together when the Holy Spirit descended. Yes, So it has a very similar. Oh, oh that's, a, that's a good correlation, and, and and so in that sense, the Jews, you know, yes, through the apostles, as you know, you know, the Holy Spirit is directing them, as the Father, you know, uh, answered His Son's request and sending the Spirit upon them, you know, in a sense, they're meeting God, you know, through the gospel, you know, that, you know, so they're meeting God through the gospel on the Day of Pentecost, and so you know what a privilege it is to, he, to have this concept of. God is revealing himself here, and God has revealed himself through Emmanuel. And, and in both cases, it's all about man meeting God, and in that meeting, recognizing who he is. You know, truly understanding you know, the greatness of this I am one. The greatness of his power, yes, he can do you know, you know, phenomenal things, But more than just that, just the greatness of his very nature. And so you think about here's God. He descends on the mountain, and you take all the imagery. And so you've got, you know, you got thunder and lightning, you got this thick cloud, you got an increasing loud trumpet sound, you got a smoking mountain because the Lord's fire is there, and then you've got a violently quaking mountain. And you've got a nation of about a million people standing there at the foot of the mountain witnessing this so they have they have they saw what he did in delivering them to Egypt and bearing them on eagles they saw that they were a witness of that eyewitnesses now they're eyewitnessing God in another way and it's all for the purpose for them to To meet God and understand that okay, when God when when Moses comes with God's words, that's what it is. It is God's word. It is the God who descended on this mountain and made it violently quake. It was a burning. You know, you you know, to me, to me, I almost picture volcanic look. You know, it didn't erupt, but you think about you got this furnace of smoke and fire you got this lightning and thundering going on. You've got this thick cloud. You know, there's, there's some storms that come along. You, you, you see in the sky, and they're ominous. And I just picture that. I don't see this as a white puffy cloud, and you're finding little bunny rabbits in it. You know, I see this as an ominous moment where God is presenting himself, and, and, God, and so God... So, they, so Moses comes out for them to meet this God. This is the God you've agreed to do all that he says so that you can be his people, so you can be his holy nation, so you can be his kingdom of priests. And so you think about that. If you were in, in, in that nation, would you continue standing at the foot of the mountain? It talks about how they trembled. It talks about how they. it, it, it hints at how they, they kind of created a little bit more distance from this. Understandably so. But see, God was trying to engrave on their minds and on their memories something. He was trying to engrave something on, on their memories. And I think that's really brought out in chapter 20. If you'll just jump over to chapter 20, look at verse 20. This is after you know the speaking of the Ten Commandments, and he says, "Okay," uh, and they're saying, "Okay, you be the one." <laughs> this is just too, this is too terrifying. You know what, what they have witnessed has scared them. He says, "Moses, you know, you know, you be the one that you know, brings us God's message. Don't let God speak to us because you know we don't want to die." And of course, Moses says, "Don't be afraid." You know. You know, God has come to test you in order that the fear of him may, may remain with you so that you may not sin. I think that's an interesting thought. You know, they're fearful on this day. But God's intention is not just to get a momentary reaction. God's intention is to implant, engrave something on their minds and their hearts so that it's there for generations after generations, that who is Jehovah? Yeah, and and they need to they need to see that. Uh, and so, you know, so you've got this exchange going back and forth. And what, real quick, I want to ask you, know, one of the questions you know, uh, uh, that I had for chapter 19 is, you know, what may be the significance of requiring Moses to go back down to warn the people, which he already done, bef- before he comes up again? What do what, what you think could be the possibility of that, you know, why does God make him go back down? They've already set the boundaries. They've already give all the warnings. Why does he have to do that again? What do you think, not Brother John? Go ahead, John. He, they've already proven they weren't very good listeners. Yes, and that's one of the answers I jotted down. But it, it, already by previous events, they're they're not good listeners. They're not retaining, you know, what needs to be retained, uh, Brother Reed. Right. Yes, and so he knows the hearts, and so you know, he knows the hearts of people writing it at that moment, and they need to be, you know, you know impacted with that. David, did you have your hand raised? Okay. Anyone else? They- Nathan. Right. Yeah, and then you go back, yeah, because they go back to that, you know, so that could be in it. So there's a number of answers you could ha- have with that. But I find it's interesting that, you know, here's a lesson that God is trying to make. What do you think the lesson is for Moses, though? What do you think the lesson is for Moses? Because Moses is the one who says, "He says, you go back. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's like when he going up and down the mountain, he stepped out the door and in the door and out the door. You know, I, I think this is a little bit of a trek. You know, the hike up. This mountain to be God, you got to go back down the mountain, and then you got to go back up the mountain, go back down the mountain. Yeah, you know, you know It's not it's not an easy thing. So, what do you think the lesson was for Moses? There's a I think there's a lesson for both. Anybody? That in his leading of the people, he should never let God's words depart from his mouth and be constantly reminding them about everything that he said. Right, and I think and I think that's the key that even Moses. You know, he, you know, in the midst of all his faithfulness and respect and reverence, needed to make sure that he did always what God said. And, and as a leader, he needed to respect that. And so you, so in chapter 20, you've got the Ten Commandments, and you think about you know, the Ten Commandments are the foundation to, to all the laws that follow. Uh, and you think, the, these Ten Commandments are coming from a God that we are told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, who is what? God is 1 John 1, 5. I'm not gonna tell you. It's who what? God is light. And then you got also over in 1 John chapter 4 and 5. God is love. And so here's this God, here's a God of light and love. And so here are these 10 commandments that are flowing from his mouth, and, and they're all going to emanate from that source, a source of light and love and so every one of them based upon Matthew 22 and what Jesus said, every one of these ten commandments and all the others that follow every one of them in their application is because because it reflects two commandments what's the first one, what's the greatest commandment to love God with everything you've got What's the second one? Love your neighbor, right? All the law grows out of those two. So these 10 commandments emanate from a God of light and love. And so th- these laws are given because the people need to love God and the people need to love their neighbor. And so the thing is, if Israelites love God, you know, you take the first four, if Israelites love God, then in a positive way, you know, what that would mean is you would worship God, you would serve God alone, you would keep his commandments. And so he expounds on that you know, and says, okay, to do that, the you know, four basic principles of that, you know, for you to carry out, worship me, serve me alone, and keep my commandments, he says, okay, first of all, you are to have no other what? You have had no other God. If you're going to worship me and serve me, you can't have any other gods. Number two, and if you love God, you you won't have another God. Number two, also, you will not make what? You will not make any kind of idol. Of any kind. You You won't have a different God, and you won't have any kind of idol. And thirdly, he says, you will not use what in vain? You'll not use my name in vain. You'll speak my name always with the greatest reverence, respect, because I am a holy God. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of light. And fourthly, related to God, he says, okay, and then you're going to remember something. Remember what? Remember the Sabbath. How often? Every Sabbath. And how often did the Sabbath come around? Every week. week. So, you you, you know, those are the four basic things, he says. And all of those grow out of love. If you love God, Israel, you'll do these four basic things faithfully. Then the other six are if you love your neighbor. All of these are related to loving your neighbor. And it starts off with the positive instruction. If you love your neighbor, like you're supposed to, Israel, then you will honor who? You'll honor your father and mother, you'll honor your parents. They fall under the idea of loving your neighbor. If you don't honor your parents, you're not loving your neighbor. But if you love your neighbor, you'll honor your parents. And it goes down, and then you got the rest of them all negatives. No murder, no adultery, no theft, no false witnessing, no covetousness of any kind. Because you can covet without taking it. He said, you don't even commit, you know, the attitude of covetousness. Yeah. Because if you do, if you, if you do any of those things, you are not loving your neighbor. Now, obviously, we can understand the concept. Okay, you know, if you kill your neighbor, you know, that wasn't very loving. But in our world today, you know, those these principles are still carried out under the new covenant, and it's still true. If I love my neighbor, you know, I will follow Christ's covenant. That expounds on these basic principles, likewise, and therefore you think about adultery, how rampant it is throughout our country, and it's a lack of love for your neighbor. That's what it is. Or you think uh, uh, the attitude of covetousness that you know, just is just in, in with our materialistic uh, culture. You know, well, that is, you don't love your neighbor, and God says, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna be my people, you're gonna be holy and a, and, and render a priestly service. These are the basic laws that you must uphold, because I, because in verse two, I am the Lord. Basically, I am the I am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is who I am. He's presenting himself in this visible, audible way as he speaks through Moses. And it terrified the people. And he says, this is who I am. Therefore, bam, 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 goes down. Ten things. Do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this. And if you do that faithfully, he says, then you'll be mine. You'll be my possession. And I'll keep you, but they weren't, and God didn't keep them. But reed You know, talk about the terror that they went through on that mountain. God was on that mountain. Yes. They couldn't see him, but He was there. He was there. You go into Hebrews, and you talk about where Christ is our sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That same thing is true for us oh, you're right. You're so you're so correct on that. I want to end very quickly just reading you know, the Deuteronomy's account of their reaction, yeah, you know, and let that be the final, you know, thought. But over in Deuteronomy chapter five, yeah, you know, it's brought out here in Exodus as well that the, you, know, you know their reaction to you know, they're just fear filled by what they've witnessed, and as say you know, Moses, Moses, you, you do it. You do. It. You should be the guy to, you know, bring miss God's word. But uh, what's interesting is how Moses then reflects on that and says a little bit more. He, he says, and so in chapter 5, being in verse 22, yeah, if, yeah, if y'all can come on into the auditorium if you want to, I'm just going to read a passage, you can walk in and sit down. And so Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, he says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. So this is Moses retelling the story. The words of the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick gloom, with a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. So here's their reaction. Come on in. Come on in, everybody. You walk on in. (laughs) And you said, listen to what he says. You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory... They came out to meet God. He said, we have seen his glory, his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. And we have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Moses lived. Now when, now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? See, Moses has heard God and lived, and we have witnessed this, and we have lived. And so, so they say, go near and hear all that the Lord our God says, then speak to us all, the, all that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear it and do it. And then the Lord responds, I have heard, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken on this day you know, in this moment they understood but they soon so soon forgot because it was not in their heart so that it would remain thank you very much for everyone's participation appreciate it